And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. The men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. God bless the USA. Good to see you, my friend. I. Uh, we are going to be talking about the Red Pill Expo, which is coming up next weekend. And uh, my guest today will be G. Edward Griffin, will be joining us uh, very shortly. And matter of fact, I think he's probably just about on. And uh, then also we're going to be joined by uh, Lisa Von Geldern, who is with the John Birch Society. And she's going to be talking about the red pill and then also another event that they've got scheduled at the same venue uh, in September. So we're going to be talking about that. Uh, we're also going to be joined uh, by uh, we're going to be joined by Nathan Deshamaker and we're also going to be joined uh, by Mark Sutherland. So we've got quite a cast on today and we're going to be talking about all the things of importance to people in the United States and around the world with the Red Pill Expo. Uh, Des Moines, Iowa, next weekend, and we're going to have a chance to talk a little bit about it as a preview uh, for all the people who are interested in attending. Uh, go online, uh, buy tickets. It's available. Uh, we've got... Uh, uh, plenty of opportunity to uh, get get you folks into the red pill, and if you can't make it, uh, at least sign up for the live stream because that is a, a great opportunity if you can't be there in person. Looks like Ed's on, on board. I see Lisa's on board. I think it'll be a little bit before uh, Mark Sutherland or uh, Nathan Deshamaker join us, but uh, we're going to be talking about the Red Pill Expo in Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, Ed, great to see you, my friend. I'm glad I called you at home. I uh, I caught you very, very, uh, very opportune time. You were just heading out the door. <laughs> so, and it does look like uh, you are muted, so you will need to unmute. Yeah, it, it works better that go. way, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Hey, uh, hey you, buddy. You did, you did, yeah. <laughs> You caught me right at the critical moment. It's a good thing my good wife was here because she answered the phone. Anyway, all is well that ends well. So That's right. That's right. Well, we've got a great program coming up in uh, in less than a week now. 
uh, we're going to be at the Red Pill Expo in Des Moines, Iowa. And we are looking forward to a great program with some really, really dynamite speakers. And I wanted people to have an opportunity to hear one last time. Actually, I'm going to do this a couple more times, but uh, at least one of the last times we get a chance, hurry up and, and get your tickets purchased. Uh, we need to... Uh, we need to fill that auditorium, and if you can't make it to the Red Pill Expo, you can certainly afford to do it on live stream because we've got one of the least expensive live stream opportunities available of any conference of this type in the world. So, um, you know, it just uh, it's going to be wonderful to see all these people there. Ed, I know you're looking forward to it. And um, you're gaining, I'll tell you what, you're amazing. You're going backwards on your age. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a, that's a nice statement. I Will you repeat that, please? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, you really, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, you went through a, a pretty uh, pretty difficult time. We you had a... Uh, we feel like it was probably some kind of a bioweapons attack at the uh, event we did in uh, in Louisiana, and you came back from that. In fact, we were we were both uh, pretty close to calling it quits there uh, at my place down in Arizona, and you lost an incredible amount of weight, and you know, you went through a really tough time and now you're looking like you feel almost as good as you, as you were before any of this stuff ever happened. And you're looking younger all the time and you're gaining weight and looking good. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> we just, uh, we don't look back. We just always keep looking forward. And I guess that's about the best you can do. I'm very, I'm very fortunate, Dan. I had a lot of good help friends from all over, all over the country, actually all over the world were, giving me advice and good advice, by the way. Everybody gets who gets sick gets all kinds of advice from people. But uh, I got some good advice, a couple of very, uh, uh, very knowledgeable alternative doctors. My wife, of course, is a registered nurse, and she she uh, has become smart enough not to believe everything that comes out of Western medicine. And she was giving me good alternative medical advice, too, and taking good care of me. And and um, I decided at some point there that I wasn't ready to quit. I had too many things mm -hmm. to do. So I got kind of ticked off at the whole thing. And I and once I got angry, uh, it seemed like things started to work better. So maybe there's something to be said for a little bit of uh, anger-based determination. I don't know. Well, I don't doubt that for a second because uh, the worst thing a person can do is give up. And that's why we do this uh, this is because we can't afford to uh, let these bastards win. Yeah. We've got to make sure that we're on the on the winning side of this thing because we've got kids, we've got grandkids, we've got uh, people who are dependent on somebody to keep the ball rolling and keep moving toward the goal. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's been a it's been a pretty damn nasty struggle here over the last couple of years, but I I see things getting better, don't you? Well, they're getting better in terms of our our increase of of enthusiasm and knowledge and determination. Yeah, it's a great awakening, as Mickey Willis has called it in his documentary film. 
but but we have a long way to go so we 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 can't let up we're just beginning to to feel our strength now so uh, it's going to be it's going to be interesting in the year probably the next year or two years for sure i think things are coming to a head so uh, i remember one time years ago i was watching some crazy afternoon television program i must have been at somebody else's house and they were interviewing uh, people who were from all over the country and they they got this old lady on on there she was uh, i think why she was almost 90 years old and and they were sort of treating her special like she's a, a delicate vase and you know you don't drop it because it'll break for sure and uh, they they asked her what's the best thing about getting to be old and i never will forget it she said well the best thing about getting to be old is that you get to find out how it all turns out <laughs> Well, I think we're, I think we're getting to that stage where we're going to get to find out, Dan, I very soon. soon. How mm -hmm. is it all going to turn out? And I'm glad to be alive and able to pull on the oars a little bit to make sure that it's it's our side that turns out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there was a a book uh, written a number of years ago. I I can't remember the author. I've got the book somewhere in my in my. Uh, uh, library, but it was called The Tipping Point, and it was a discussion about how things take a long time to happen, but then at some point you reach the fulcrum, you, you reach the point where uh, the balance of power goes from one to the other, and I think that's where we're at. We're at the tipping point right now, and that's why it's so important that we continue to fight this battle and continue to uh, be really the people that are pushing uh, toward that tipping point, because I think we're going to win this battle. I don't think there's any question about that. It's really just a matter of how miserable they're going to try to make us in the interim. And that's something to behold in itself. Yeah, I think they're probably going to do a pretty good job of that. But I agree with you. You, you, uh, you never give up, or it's never over until you give up. So the answer is don't give up. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Well, let's talk about the uh, the red pill, because this is the 10th red pill. Uh, the first one started in Bozeman, Montana, uh, back in 2017. And since then, uh, we've had eight others, and this will be our 10th. Uh, of, of all the red pill events, and they've been all over the country. Uh, we have all these wonderful speakers that come in. And uh, incidentally, I have to tell people, we don't do this to make money. We don't, we don't do it to lose money either. But uh, we the don't. That's the plan anyway, was it? That's the plan, <laughs> yeah. But we, we do try to do it to, uh, to get as many people to wake up to what the matrix is all about. And uh, we, we don't try to turn this into a big cash cow for any, any individuals. Any extra money that is made by these events goes to the Red Pill University to expand the reach and expand the opportunities for people to learn about the matrix and what's going on in this desperate fight for the individual liberty of all the people of the world. Well, that's a very good point. It's, it's not really recognized enough, I think, Dan. But we have some very high-octane 
presenters at the Red Pill Expo, as you know, and anybody can see who goes on our website. Some of these people are used to drawing some pretty hefty honoraria. Uh, I mean, we've had people like uh, Robert Kiyosaki on here numerous times, and you know he he draws in staggering amounts of, of payments because he's a big draw, and he's worth every bit of it. But he's never charged us a dime. Of course, we couldn't have paid it anyway. And uh, so, I mean, people say you had Kiyosaki and he donated his time. Mm-hmm. I said, well, yeah, we all do. None of us walk out of there with a paycheck, and so none of the managers, none of the speakers. It's it's all. You know, if anybody's participating in Red Pill Expo, it's because their heart and their their minds and their spirits are right smack in there. It's not because of money or anything else or fame or glory. In fact, oh, Lord, there's <laughs> negative fame in some cases and negative glory. So, yeah, it's because, well, I call it my crusader gene. I think everybody on our team has a crusader gene, and they do things like that because they have no choice. It's just you can't sleep at night unless you've done something to strike a blow for truth and and liberty. It's just part of our makeup, I think. Oh, I, I agree. I think that's exactly what it is. And it's amazing that we can get these great speakers to come to the Red Pill. As you say, a lot of them are used to a, a huge honorarium uh, for speaking. And I think Kiyosaki was dragging in, I don't know, 50000 for uh, speaker fee. I know Dell Big Tree. Uh, certainly, people like Mickey Willis, and even you know yourself. You're used to collecting a pretty decent fee for going out and doing these programs, and we ask them to do it for nothing, and they, it's never been a problem. We haven't had one person say, "No, I'm not going to do it unless you give me a bunch of money." Yeah. Well, that <clears throat> that's because we know how to pick them, Dan. Mm-hmm. Actually, there is one exception to that, yeah. I have to say, and that was Ron Paul. But it was only because Ron Paul got a business manager, and yeah. the business manager wouldn't let us talk to uh, Ron Paul directly. No, no. Yeah, Ron Paul would have gladly done it had we uh, talked to him about it. But, yeah, he had a, an agent, and that's what happens when you get into the mainstream on these things. Uh it's no longer a question of virtue. It's a question of, of profit. So anyway, that doesn't apply to us. Sometimes I wish it did, because I think if we were shrewd enough, we probably could make a lot of money. But that doesn't help win the battle. So right. there you are. Right. It's not a matter of being shrewd. It's a matter of being honest. And that's something that uh, really stands out about the programs that we do or uh, they're really to try to get people to wake up and understand what's been happening in the world. And I, I had breakfast yesterday with a good friend of mine that was a, a county commissioner when I was a county commissioner, and I hadn't seen Leonard in about a year. But um, we were talking about how important it is for people to understand what's going on, and he said, Dan. I've been watching what you've been talking about Agenda 21 and Agenda, well, prior to Agenda 2030, but Agenda 21 going back probably 15, 20 years. And he said, I'm absolutely amazed. Not only is all the stuff you were talking about back then happening, but even more. 
And he said, it just, it's an eye opener when you realize that these people, these speakers are out there that are willing to tell people what's going on. We've got to be part of the solution by showing up and hearing what they've got to say. Yes, that's uh, as well said, Dan. And there's another aspect to it that most people don't think about, but we think about it a lot. And that is that uh, we're trying to not just inform people, as important as that is, that is certainly the first step toward uh, uh, an effective countermeasure against all of this tyranny that's being th- thrust upon us. You can't, you can't fight an enemy that you don't understand. So w- information is essential, very essential, all that. Having said that, it's what you do with that information mm-hmm. that really makes the difference. There's an old saying that, uh, you know, how does it go? And something like, truth will ultimately prevail if enough en- if enough energy is spent to bring it to light or something like that mm-hmm. various mm-hmm. very feel good statements but it's not true truth alone does not accomplish very much it's the pre prerequisite for an effective countermeasure but by itself it's nothing because every every tyranny that's ever come to power throughout history has buried their opposition who understood what they were doing but never effectively opposed it or were unable to do it. I mean, having a library full of books does not help you when they come at your door and break it down at three o'clock in the morning and say, into the truck, you know? Mm No, but but I have a library. I know what you guys are doing. No, no, no. So the reason I mention that is because the, the hidden, not so hidden, but the not so visible part of the Red Pill Expo and, the, and of course, its sponsor, Red Pill University, is to build a coalition of activists who will create a movement, a political social movement, not partisan politics, but real politics, a movement at a global scale that will actually unseat these these bastards, as you gently called them. I had other names that I think would be even more appropriate. But um, anyway... Um, so we are trying to build a movement, and you cannot do that by sending emails or watching videos on your computer screen. You have to meet with other people. You have to sit down with them. You have to bond with them. You have to find out who, who you like, who you feel you can trust. You get to know each other, especially in your local communities, which is why we're now trying very hard to build campuses of Red Pill University in every county in the United States so that people can gather into little hardcore groups on the ground, boots on the ground, as they say, in every county. You can actually influence local political and social mores very easily if you have, oh, if you just have 20 or 30 people who really are understand, first of all, understand what they're doing, and then secondly, are committed to doing something about it and becoming active and find candidates to run for office, for example, so that no longer do we have to wait around and say, well, let's see, the elections are coming up. Uh, let's see who's running for office. Who am I going to vote for? What a joke that is. By that time, it's over. The people that have selected those candidates are are the ones running the show. And if you think you're just going to select a name off of a list, oh, I like him. He's, I heard him give a speech once. And he mentioned the Constitution. So I like him. Of course, you, we don't know what else he what's going on in his life. He's maybe, maybe he likes the constitution too, but maybe he likes money more. We don't know. So all of these things have to come be considered when you're talking about building a coalition, you need 
boots on the ground. You need people working together at the local level. And the Red Pill Expo is the wide end of the funnel for beginning to create that kind of a coalition. So I always think in terms of that when I when I think about how are we doing with the Red Pill Project? How are we doing with building a coalition with boots on the ground that can affect who is sitting on those chairs in the dais for this? the city council, for the county board of supervisors, the board of education, who the sheriff is, people, you know, important positions, people like that. We can influence those things. And what we can't do it on the internet. We have to be face to face. So I, I could go on and talk for another 20 minutes on that. But I think by now everybody's got the idea. We have to get together. And so that's another very good reason to start. The place to start is to come to the Red Pill Expo. Right, exactly. And people say, well, um, you know, I can I can I can watch it on live stream or I can do something else and I can catch it later, whatever. It's kinda like going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> and I mean I, I use that analogy because it's true. People will spend a lot of money to go to the Super Bowl because there's nothing quite as good as actually being there. And that's really what uh, same kind of thing with the uh, Red Pill Expo. We need uh, you. You can't replace that that emotion, that feeling of actually being there and meeting these great speakers and having an opportunity to talk to them and get a chance to visit with people who are like minded who you meet, may meet from a totally different state and have a chance to bond and form those kind of uh, connections that will help you to be part of the solution. Yeah, that's it. So there you have it. If we haven't uh, convinced anybody listening by now that they've got to come to the Red Pill Expo, well, we better resign. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, let's... Uh, Lisa Von Geldern is with us from uh, the Tucson area. Uh, she's uh, a, a lady who is uh, very familiar with the Red Pill. She's going to be out there with uh, John Birch Society as one of our one of our sponsors, one of the table uh, that we'll have at the event, and uh, she's hoping that she can be there, Lisa. Uh, welcome to the program, and then we're going to give you a little opportunity to talk about another event in the same venue about a month later. So uh, welcome to the program. Thank you, Dan. It's good to see you, and um, Mr. Griffin, it's it's great to be on here with you. Uh, it's a total privilege. I, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you know who John Dennis is. He ran for Congress against Nancy Pelosi in 2010 when uh, we had that Tea Party tidal wave, only the Bay Area did not get hit. And uh, we had Ron Paul in for some fundraisers. And the members on that team were telling me about the creature from Jekyll Island. But they were also telling me about going up to a farm in Iowa to wait for the aliens. And so I kind of dismissed it at the time. Okay. <laughs> and I'm very sad that that's the case. So uh, I know better now. Um, so, yeah. did, did the aliens show up, do you know? The aliens didn't show up. Oh, darn. They're disappointing again now. But she did reach, uh, read Creature from Jekyll Island, so uh, that's important. And I, well, that's, that's where the aliens went, to Jekyll Island, back I in 1910. <laughs> but much later in life than I should have. Um, the Red Pill, um, I'm very excited about it, and uh, 
I'm, I'm going to share my screen here. Wait a second. Let me see real quick because I'd like to share, um, if I can get this, I don't know if I can, uh, we're having an event that, well, I'm not doing it. So I'm not, I'm not expert at this, but we are having, Oh dear, share a desktop. Okay, cancel. Forget it. I'm not sharing the screen. So, um, we are having an event the night before with some speakers that, uh, line up with what you're doing and, uh, our field coordinator, when you know all about that, um, our field coordinator there, Tammy Kopsa has done a tremendous amount of work helping organize the fight against the carbon capture pipeline and the theft of private property, um, which Biden put into the infrastructure bill, you know, the mineral rights throughout the whole, uh, great plains area. And that's, what's also going on over in the Netherlands. So we have, um, uh, we have, well, Alex Newman, who you have too, is, will be speaking for us, but we also have Dr. Lee Merritt. And then we have a man named Gary Shaver, who's going to be talking about why we need constitutional sheriffs and the importance of that. And I can tell you from my experience down here in Arizona with the, uh, theft of the elections and the masking and forced jabs, there's been a tremendous fight here. And it's really woken people up. I, I wish Red Pill was in Arizona, maybe next year. And uh, I'll be helping uh, look for a venue for you so that we can do that. Um, because we have a tremendous number of patriots. Dan was uh, actually at an event we met face-to-face -face last fall at a Health and Freedom Summit that a friend of mine runs here. And um, education is the first tool. And, and that is... Robert Welch said, education is our true total strategy. And as you were talking about, truth is our only weapon. And I believe that, and we need vir a virtuous people. And so it has to be people who honor and respect the truth. And um, I think that that's what you give at the red pill. And uh, I'm I'm looking, desperately looking for a hotel room so that I can attend. Um, wow. I know, but trying to get a room is <laughs> at the end is a little hard. <laughs> so there you go. Lisa, make sure, um, and, and I'll get you in contact with uh, Carlene, but I know we do have a block of rooms that have been set aside for our attendees now. We're probably uh, at the point where they're going to start releasing uh, any of those rooms that aren't filled. So let's make sure that you get a, a special rate there because it does make all the difference in the world. And the facility is owned actually by uh, someone who is a John Bircher. So that's, that's how pretty amazing. It. Yep, that's how we found it. It's it's a fabulous and it's very well run. It's it's, it's a step up from what we're used to. So dynamite. Well, it's good to see you again. I did uh, uh, meet you at an event uh, this last. I'm I'm going to say it was around February or March uh, that we got together and had a chance and it was at that uh health freedom summit that was put on in tucson as a matter of fact yes carl canthak presented he's ter tremendous mm -hmm. and um drew heaton runs that event every year here right right that was drew's event yep Dr. orient is usually there right right well now let's talk about john burke society because this is uh Ed, you, you uh, kind of got your beginnings and really got your roots in the freedom movement uh, started back with the uh, 
Birch Society early on. Would you like to talk about that at all? Well, sure. That's a that's my history. Uh, that's that was the first awakening I had. That was way back in 1960, and uh, I was really ripe because uh, I didn't know I had a crusader gene, as I mentioned before. But uh, when it started to rattle, I wanted to do something, and the Birch Society seemed to be the only name or the only game in town. So I uh, signed up as a as a volunteer. I wanted to be a chapter leader. Well, I wanted to join a chapter, first of all, but they didn't have any. In fact, uh, they didn't have many chapters. I think my chapter number was 240 or something like that. And I have a feeling that that was fudging a little bit. So uh, I came in sort of at the very beginning uh, when nobody knew what the heck they were doing, kind of like us, you know, uh, where um, they knew what had to be done. Uh, what is the old joke about? It's like we were like uh, mosquitoes in a nudist camp. We knew we knew what we had to knew, we knew what we had to do. We just didn't know where to begin. <laughs> and uh, so so I became a I thought I was joining a, an organization where I would receive instructions. Here's what you do. You report here. This is your code name or something. I didn't know what I was getting into. And they said, "Well, congratulations. You are now a chapter leader. Go forth and and be successful." And I said, "That's it. Those are my instructions. Go forth and be successful." And that was pretty much it. So we had to invent everything along the way, and we formed a little chapter in um, Playa del Rey, California, and then eventually I became a, a volunteer coordinator, and, and then I went to work for the society as a as a uh, full time coordinator, and then then I was given the job of I won't exactly say training other coordinators, but showing them how we had done things that were very successful, and. Um, and then I became a, an official spokesman for the society. And then I wrote Robert Welch's biography. So I guess you might say I came up from a little twiggling right through this while the tree was growing and got to see all those exciting things that happened in those early days. So, um, yeah, I'm very familiar with the society and I, I salute it. I like what they're doing. Um, I, I, you're not going to find a better source of information than you will there. And as Lisa has emphasize so correctly getting your information right is essential if you get wrong information you are through easily easily deceived and turned against your own objectives so uh, that's why i've always felt fond about the society i'm still a life member of it i support everything they do and i'm glad to see that they support what we're trying to do because i kind of look at what the society is doing and what we're doing is kind of like the like the army and the navy they're not really competitors. They just have a different field of operation, and they work together for the same objective. Ours, of course, is a little bit more on the militant side. We want boots on the ground. We want to. We we're we're going to go right for those city council meetings and those uh, those positions on the board of education and make no bones about it, and uh, things like that. And uh, we're international in scope. We know well, at least we feel that this is an international movement. We're fighting collectivism, and we're not. I think we're the only people that have ever made a distinction between communism, fascism, Nazism, socialism, all those things. And we were, the, I think, still are pretty much the, the ones that have said, forget all those names. It's collectivism, everybody. And we're on the side of of individualism. And in fact, I'm going to be talking about that at the uh, at the event coming up. 
it's, I think, very, very important. So anyway, back to the main thing. Yeah, the Birch Society is a very important part of our arsenal, I think. And uh, Lisa, I'm, I'm delighted to see you represent that. And I, I'm looking forward to working with you. I look forward to working with you. Um, I'm in a new role, and my job is to help create more events. So we're having our leadership conference. And uh, I emailed Dan the flyer because I'm struggling with the screen share here. I'm using the wrong computer in my house. Um, but we're having a wonderful event. Uh, we're going to start off Friday night with a All-American uh, hot, hot dog and hamburger dinner while we watch Nitrogen 2000. So uh, James Patrick, who's a filmmaker, went over to the Netherlands and he's been filming and he created a documentary uh, on what's going on there. That's become the breadbasket of Europe and they're trying to shut it down. They literally want to pave over paradise. Mm -hmm. And um, the farmers are being told that their nitrogen is harming the environment. And as anyone who went through fifth or sixth grade science class knows, we need methane, nitrogen, and carbon to grow plants. And plants are what feed animals and ourselves. So uh, it really is a, uh, it's a suicide mission by the globalist masters, you know. And uh, then that's Friday night. And then on Saturday, we'll be celebrating, well, we're celebrating 65 years since the Birch Society was founded this year. And we're also celebrating the 40th anniversary of KAL 007 being shot down. Um, it, it, it was not necessarily shot down so much as forced down. There's plenty of evidence that Congressman Larry McDonald was uh, captured alive and tortured over several years and murdered. And so we are honoring his memory at the event. And then we will be uh, having a Alex Newman presenting on using terror and fear to enact the global warming policies. And uh, when I mentioned that I was on that campaign before, I had been on campaigns earlier. I fought, and you might be familiar with, uh, Big Green, Prop 128, foisted on us by Tom Hayden, John Vandekamp, and Diane Feinstein. And I was a field uh, coordinator, I guess, as you will, uh, and fighting that campaign back in 1990, which is uh, AOC's Green New Deal just for the state of California. We successfully educated the public and took that down, but it seems like the heads of a lot of the corporations now are on board with the control mechanisms that the Global Green campaign will give them. Uh, so we will be talking about that and we will be having a panel with supervisors uh, and also Trent Luz. I don't know if you're familiar with Trent mm -hmm. Luz. He has a fabulously popular substack, um, and he, they're talking about what's going on in North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa. It turns out that the carbon capture pipeline goes, I have a map here somewhere, goes all the way up into Pennsylvania and across the country. And, uh, We've been fighting it, and our field coordinator there has organized a coalition uh, to fight this, and they are, we are having some successes. So we're going to have a panel on that, and then Congressman Steve King's going to come and talk about private property rights and how to fight this battle. Um, in the afternoon, we'll be having our three number one agenda items, which is election integrity with Dr. Doug Frank. Uh, we'll also be having a uh, how to fight the agenda 2030 in your local area. And we're going to be educating people about how to find their comprehensive plans and what to do about that, how to look into it in their area. And we'll also be uh, talking about uh, fighting the con con. We've been fabulously successful this year 
in battling back Mark Meckler and his convention of states groups and uh, their dirty tricks. And then uh, in the evening, we have Dr. Ryan Cole. We'll have uh, James Patrick will get up and talk about his next documentary he's working on, which is on the effect of the jabs on women's fertility. And then we will have Dr. Ryan Cole, and he's talking about medical freedom in an era of lies. So I really look forward to talking to him. I was uh, hospitalized with the COVID back in November of 21 for two weeks, and I nearly died. And they tried to kill me in the hospital, and I'm still trying to regain my health. And like you, I've had several very good friends help me. And um, But it's been a tough battle. And uh, I'm absolutely certain that it was a targeted bioweapon and mm. that it was designed to take us out as many as possible. And um, I didn't get the shot, but I still got very, very ill. And uh, it, it's it's been horrible. So I am I am like you, angry. And if I knew how to screen share, I would show you my why. Um, my why is uh, six beautiful kids, two are mine, two are my sisters, and two are my brothers. And uh, I, um, I'm in this fight for our posterity. I grew up in Boston, and I walked the Freedom Trail during the Bicentennial, and I am have been since a child an avowed Americanist. And um, I believe in individual liberty and individual rights. So. Uh, I am 100% with you. Alicia? I want to um, spread pill groups and get my JBS chapter here in Tucson to start working. We, we we do. We have a board watchers group. We go down to the board. We have members that go to the city council meetings. We go to the election meetings. It's it's a very active group. We're really lucky. Great. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, we very need. much. Now, what uh, you're going to be, the Birch Society is having a meeting uh, in the evening before our Red Pill Expo at the hotel. We've done that in the past, Ed. As a matter of fact, at the last one in Salt Lake City, uh, you were honored by the Birch Society as one of the, uh, I guess, uh, one of the key people that uh, the Birch Society sees as a leader that uh, has done the most for in individual liberty in the country. And they made a pretty big deal out of it. And frankly, it was very, very, uh, it was a very great honor that they bestowed upon you. And uh, maybe you want to talk about that. Well, yes, it certainly was an honor and totally unexpected. Um, I was told that uh, the, the meeting was going to take place. And, and wouldn't it be nice if I could go over there and just show up and show my appreciation and support. I said, yeah, I'd like to do that. But guys, I got some stuff to do here, you know. Well, come on, you 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 can't just you can't just ignore all these good people and and uh I mean they're there to support you. You have to show your support. Okay, okay, I know I want to go, but oh you don't know what I've got on my desk here. So anyway I went reluctantly. I didn't even I don't think I even combed my hair. I was not dressed for any kind of an award ceremony. Of course everybody knew I was going to get the award except me. And so I, I went there kind of thinking, gee, I wish, I hope this doesn't go on too long. And then when they started talking about me, I was so awed and embarrassed and ashamed of myself for my attitude. And I was really honored, as you say, to receive this fantastic lifetime award. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's the good rewards come along. But to me, the the real reward is to see to see the unity that we have 
between all these people and all these different groups, they, we do have something in common. And, and that thing that's in common is huge. And they're trying to always divide us on something, religion or race or economic status or something. And if we just recognize that our basic desire for freedom is what unites us, and uh, and, and we don't have to go any further than that, then all of a sudden we reach out across a lot of different, a lot of different uh, cultures, different interests, different age groups, and so forth. And it, that's what really honors me, is to see this all coming together. But yes, back to the main thing, I've got that trophy, it's a beautiful trophy, sitting in my office on top of my filing cabinet, and you can't go in or out without seeing it. So I see it every day, and I'm grateful. Well, that was, that was, I was there, and that was an amazing honor. It really was. They, uh, a Lifetime Achievement Award that they don't give to many people. I think maybe uh, you were one of the few that weren't actually, um, you know, part of the leadership of the Birch Society at, at, right now. You, you were given that award because of what you've done for individual liberty and the creature from Jekyll Island and all the other things that yeah. you've been part of. Yeah. You've done with your life. Exactly. It's been a huge gift to the rest of us. And uh, Lisa, when is your uh, Birch event now? Our event is next Saturday and Sunday, the 12th and 13th of uh, August at the Des Moines uh, Airport Holiday Inn and Convention Center in Des Moines, Iowa. And um, your event is at the same venue, but it's about a month later, isn't it? Yes, it's Friday the 8th and Saturday the 9th. So it starts Friday evening and then uh, goes all the way through Saturday evening. And um, we're actually, uh, John Birch, who's the nephew of our namesake, um, will be attending and we'll be able to tell stories and chat with people after the Friday night event and uh, talk to us about his uncle and the stories he heard as a child growing up and talk about how his uncle's faith informed his courage and his heroism and um and so i'm i'm looking forward to that as well that'd be great of that's him. really interesting lisa can i ask a favor of you yes sir. I, I presume you're going to get a recording of that and would you be willing to share it with me and i'll tell you why years ago i mean i can't remember but many years ago i i prepared to release a a audio album on I Remember John Birch, that was the title. I interviewed uh, John Birch's parents. I, I went to Macon, Georgia, I think it was, and I got interviews from everybody that had ever had any dealings with him personally, including the one, the one lady that I think John Birch uh, asked her if she would marry him, and she turned him down. Uh, because I don't know why, but it wasn't because she didn't like him. Uh, Bruce, anyway, she she did not accept it. But I met her, and she was by that time a very old lady and in a retirement home. And I have all these magnificent recordings. Now, if I could add that one to it, and if I could just find somebody that wants to run with it, I'll donate the whole thing to somebody, and they can get all those old recordings that I did, and it'd be sort of brought up to date with this new one. I will do what I can to get that to happen for you, sir. Absolutely. That would be a treasure. It, would be, it is a treasure. 
we're very blessed in this country with men of that caliber and of your caliber and, and all of us. I mean, I just, uh, Wayne Morrow, our vice president, when I go back to headquarters, I travel about not quite once a month back there. And I try and go when he's there too. We, we have a kinship because he, he lives in Georgia and has to travel in. He always, he's the one who hired me. He always kind of elbows me and he says, you found your people, Lisa, you found your people. And I said, <laughs> absolutely. I uh, grew up, like I said, on the East coast, uh, in Boston, but I went to UC Berkeley for college and, um, I've been fighting collectivists my whole life, just naturally. Uh, and I, I didn't really know what a bircher was until just a couple of years ago to my chagrin, but, um, I've always been a bircher innately. And, uh, I, I think it's something you're born with. Um, and, uh, I'm very excited about our event. If people go to jbs.org, um, they can click on, there's a picture, a beautiful picture of, of a, tr of a, tractor <laughs> you can pick on it uh click on it and it will take you to uh information about the event and buying tickets and um we also will try to be selling tickets at our booth at your event the month before and i really want to strongly encourage people like you said we're all on the same team we need to join together and have a strong coalition in order to fight what's coming what's here and what's coming and um Faith is so important in this fight. And um, very definitely. I'm a little bit angry is good too. <laughs> yeah, very definitely. And uh, my, uh, and my friend Mark Sutherland, I've, I've talked to you about Mark. He's the uh, uh, British uh, film producer that uh, knows Kate Shemarani really, really well. In fact, he's the one that introduced us, uh, introduced me to Kate, and that's how I kind of knew how to get a hold of her for the event. Uh, but uh, Mark is on right now, I believe. Uh, I see the name there. And uh, Mark is a film producer from the UK. He's over here now working on a, a film production in the Nashville area. But, you know, when you're talking about someone to bring together all these recordings and all this information for... Uh, the Birch Society, maybe Mark might be somebody that would be uh, fun to talk to at the event. He's planning to be at our event. Um, he would make a great speaker at uh, at an event at some point. Uh, Mark, are you there? Uh, Dan, I am here. I hope you can hear me. And I do apologize, but I don't seem to have camera. That may be... Um... <clears throat> That may be because I'm stuck in the wilds of North Dakota at the moment. <laughs> so uh, it was a fantastic uh, reference from Lisa. Um, what an honor it is to be on with you, G. Edward, Mr. Griffin, sir. So thank you very much. Um, we have spoken in the we have spoken in the past, um, and I look forward to. I will be there. I've booked my hotel, and I look forward to uh, being there. And Lisa, it's very. <laughs> Very interesting. You've mentioned North Dakota because I won't I won't mention where I am in this particular town. But what has struck me is that this state is nearly half the size of the UK and with 700,000 people in it. And I'm just wondering how many of them are actually awake to what is going on in the great United States of America. And what is on my heart is the fact that I find so many people asleep and 
G. Edward, you are so right. This is a worldwide fight, and I find myself shouting myself hoarse from the United Kingdom around the world going, will you wake up, and particularly in the US. And I don't mean that disrespectfully because I've got so many friends on on this side of the pond. And it's it's interesting to hear what Lisa's just been saying about Holland and the fact that people don't even understand science basics of 101 and what has been going on over there. Um, but that's all I can say. My heart, I have a heavy heart at the moment because I just think, do a lot of Americans actually care about what is actually happening in their country? And maybe because I'm from the outside that I can actually, I can actually say that because as I've said publicly on many occasions, um, if America goes down, then the whole world has gone. And I don't say that lightly. And these two, you know, these two guests here have said this greater than me. Those societies have said this greater than me. Um, and I feel burdened by it, Dan. That's all I can say. Well, uh, Mark, I, I we've said this before, but uh, so many of the people from the UK or from Canada or from New Zealand or Australia. We have so many people from different parts of the world that have uh, either attended our event or been speakers at our event. And uh, it's, it's funny to me that people from the UK and from other countries recognize how bad things are uh, for the United States better than most of the Americans do. That's a tragedy, as you say. And uh, Ed, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd love to <laughs> bring this up because you, you've mentioned many times that Freedom Force International, which is kind of the parent of this whole idea of the red pill, uh, is about uh, bringing liberty to the entire world. Absolutely. It's, it's one of the hallmarks uh, of our movement is the recognition that this is international in scope. And uh, that does not mean that we have to surrender our nationalistic loyalties and our traditions and our cultures and all that, because that's, that's not it. But we do have to recognize that we share our mission, our, our battle, our, our battle for survival, we share it with people all around the world, even though we may differ in many other respects. We're all in the same boat. And it's that common, that, that knowledge of that common threat that binds us together. And I don't think we can effectively defeat the international forces of collectivism unless we have an international force of individualism. And that's, that's a, it's a simple concept. And I, I think it's, it's obvious on the face of it. It's got to be true. And so that's the, that's the only thing. We're, uh, we're fiercely nationalistic also, not to the extent of wanting to harm uh, or destroy or take away anything from somebody else's nation. We don't want to conquer anybody. We want to, to take them over. We'll support them in their, in their own pursuits of happiness and so forth. But we do, uh, we do share with them a certain thing. And that's, yeah. So it's a very simple. It's, you could say it 10 or 20 different ways. But we are, we're all brothers under the skin, so to speak. So when we recognize that, it, 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 it makes unity a lot easier. Yeah, it does. And as you say, 
uh, I, I love it when they send you, give you a, a government form of some kind. When you go to the doctor, or whatever they uh, ask you your race, and I always write in human <laughs> because I think that's the only race that we need to care about is the human race. Oh, yes, of course, <laughs> and uh, and the human race is not doing too well. So no. I think uh, our enemies are very racist in that sense. Mm -hmm. They are. They are. They plan to get rid of ninety-three uh, percent of us, according to their own words. So that's that's uh, racism against the human race. That is. Well, Ed, I want to give you a chance to talk about some of the people who are going to be speaking at our event. Well, yeah, um, thank you for that, Dan. Because we have some blockbuster speakers there. I'm looking at the list now. We probably don't have time to go over all of them. Some of them your audience probably is familiar with others they may not mm -hmm. be although you have such a potpourri of speakers on your program that any of your regular listeners probably knows about all of these people but mm -hmm. most people don't well of course dr sherry tenpenny is well known to everybody in the movement and she's going to be there and this time her topic is not about medical issues so much she's going to be talking about psychological and spiritual issues like her title is 10 Reasons You Need to Stay in the Game. Okay, mm -hmm. that's I'm anxious to see what she has on that. I can think of a lot of reasons, but I'm sure her 10 have been well chosen. And uh, Brian Artis is probably well known to many of your people, but he's the guy that they laughed at years ago when he talked about uh, remdesivir as being toxic. Well, that was the treatment of choice. How, how dare you say that remdesivir was toxic and it was killing people? Now, of course, everybody knows that. Mm -hmm. And they think, how did they do that? Those, didn't they understand? Why didn't somebody tell them as though they didn't know? And so now Brian is standing around and said, now, they, now they're trying to make me look ridiculous because I said that the, the vaccines contain synthetic types of snake venom. Said, now they're trying to laugh me out of existence because of that. And his title is, they no longer laugh when I say COVID shots are snake venom. And I'm here to tell you, when you hear what he has to say and the documents he produces, the, the patented documents, the research documents that he'll provide, uh, you'll be convinced that he is absolutely right. They've been researching snake venom and venom from sea, uh, very poisonous sea animals for decades and decades. And who's been re researching it? The pharmaceutical giants, because they're putting it into all the medications. And it makes sense when you understand the real business model of modern medicine. Modern medicine, in order to have a business model, it has nothing to do with curing diseases. If you cure a disease, you just cured yourself out of an income if you're selling vitamins, or I mean selling drugs, I should say. And vitamins are pretty much the same thing, by the way. And some of those vitamin companies now have been purchased by the large pharmaceutical companies, and their business model is getting to be pretty much the same. Don't, don't cure anything, just treat it and make you dependent upon the treatment forevermore so that you can keep sending them money every day, every day for the rest of your lives. Anyway, Brian will be talking about that. Now, here's one that I think is kind of new to most people. A fellow by the name of Robert Brame. He's a kind of a, a kind of a quiet little guy. You'd look up and say, well, here's a nice little fellow, but what does he do? He doesn't know anything. Well, he knows a lot, and he's what, he, what you call a forensic uh, arborist. Arborist means he's he deals with things that grow, primarily trees. He knows everything about trees. And uh, as he will explain when he gets there, he has he is an expert on every single type of tree that grows in California 
and many other states as well. He's traveled all over the country. He's climbed 150 mountains or something like that. He sleeps out in the in under the stars at night when he goes on these long tours. And he says, I've burned every kind of wood that you can grow in California. He says, I know how these different types of wood burn, which ones burn and which ones don't burn and how the differences between them. And he started getting suspicious when he saw some photographs taken from the air of some of these so-called forest fires in California, where all the houses are burned down to the ground, nothing but white ash. But the trees standing around the houses are remaining. Mm -hmm. And mm. not just one house, not just two, but all of them. Well, 99% of them, maybe a couple of caught fire, but 99% of the trees are still standing. Now, he said they're dead because they've been cooked. They've been cooked from the inside. Now, you might wonder, how can you cook a tree from the inside? Well, it's very easy. If you've uh, put a glass of water in a microwave oven, it'll boil. Water is a conductor of microwave energy. Anything liquid, and metal is too. So wouldn't you know, everything in these fire uh, disaster uh, scenes that are destroyed have metal in them or water. The trees are cooked from the inside because of the water inside the trees. And, um, and of course, the metal, it gets really hot. He, he said all of the cars in that area are burned. The metal has been melted. The, every one of them has the, the glass melted out of the windows. And, and the rubber was melted off of the tires. And the aluminum, even on the rims of the tires, is melted. But some of the grass and the bushes right next to it are not burned. How is this possible? Especially when you enter it to melt, to melt glass, he said it takes about 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit and so forth. And it goes on and on and on. And when you're through, you realize that, my God, he's right. These are not forest fires. These are directed energy fires. And they're causing metal and water to become the hottest recipients of the energy. And so anything that has metal in it or water in it, like trees, will get very, very hot, but not necessarily to burn the trees. They won't sustain burning, but they'll be they'll be dead. And they still have their needles on them, by the way, but they're dead needles. But even the needles don't burn. Anyway, this is going to be very interesting. I've looked at his uh, presentation, and there's only one thing that I would like to add, if I can, before we get there. I talked to him the other day. I said, are you following the fires up in Canada right now? He says, oh, yeah. I said, are they the same? He said, absolutely the same. Hmm. Well, wait a minute. Let me think. Get this straight. Uh, in California, it seems like they were they were destroying all of the little towns out in the wilderness. The, the, every little town. I mean, they would be centered around a town of some kind. Like, well, you know, Santa Rosa was not a, such a small town, but uh, uh, I can't name it. Paradise. I think it was another one. Picture of paradise. Every every home burned to the ground. Trees are still standing. So, why is that? He said, well, they're, he said, they're they're trying to move people out of these rural areas. They want mm -hmm. they want everybody in the cities racked up and stacked up where they can be watched, monitored, and controlled. They don't want people out in the boonies where they can perhaps grow their own food and get their own water and be independent. No. So they're trying to move them out of the cities, out of the countryside, into the cities. So well, what about up these million-acre fires up there in, in, in uh, Canada? He said, that's different. Okay, what's different about it? Well, he said, I'd, they're not trying to move people out of the little towns because there are no little towns up in there. But there are millions of acres of trees being 
cooked. They're not burned. Hmm. These forest fires, the trees are not burning, but they're being cooked and they're all dead. Well, why is that? He said, well, I think that they're trying to create a scenario to justify their claim of phony global warming. Climate change, yeah. Because this was due to climate change. So Hmm. there you have it. This is going to be one of the really interesting ones. So um, Brad Weeks, he's uh, we've had him on the show before. He's an MD. He's a really smart guy. He'll be talking about the bright side and the dark side, and the dark side of anti-aging medicine. And go on, let's flip over to the next page. Dr. Merritt, of course, will be there. But this time she's not talking about medical things. She says, I've switched over. She says, I'm talking about Satanism, bloodlines, and other creepy stuff so dear to the enemy. Mm-hmm. I can hardly wait to hear what she has to say on that. Kate Shemarani is going to be there. And you, of course, you're the one that introduced her to me. And uh, she's going to be there. She can hardly wait to be there. And her topic is now government policy is to kill the old and the very sick. And she mm-hmm. can prove that. Um, oh, and here's another one you recommended, John Moore. He's a former private investigator, and his topic is government is ready for cataclysm from space and civilization collapse. And of course, his story, he he has inside information to the fact that government has been spending a lot of time and money preparing bunkers and that kind of thing for high government officials to survive something from outer space that's going to create a lot of havoc on the surface of our planet. And they think it quite easily could knock the heck out of civilization as we know it. And this that's, goes on. Uh, that's Planet X, right? We're talking. Uh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Alex Newman will be talking about weaponizing religion for the new world order. And um, Mickey Willis will be there. He'll be talking about his famous documentary. You know, you know, we were at a meeting last night where we, he was here in Thousand Oaks, by the way. So we got to see Mickey again. In his mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. So he'll be talking about the consequences, the fantastic positive consequences of his film, The Great Awakening. Douglas Frank is fairly well known. He's a he's a mathematician and a, he's a scientist. He's a digital engineer. And he has proven uh, that these elections are being definitely uh, stolen, uh, electronically stolen, not just swiping boxes full of ballots and replacing them with others, but actually just flipping a switch and causing the the election returns to be in, improperly tallied. And his title is, The Corrupt Courts Will Not Stop Vote Fraud, But We Can. And here's how. He's got a project, a program that he, he's willing to start teaching people, and we'll be using his program, too, with our campuses on how informed citizens can literally stop that kind of uh, of uh, vote fraud and so forth it goes on here's a lady mandy jacobs from our area who's an expert on homeschooling she's a former investment banker by the way but now she's a homeschooling mother and mm-hmm. she'll explain how relatively easy it is to homes- homeschool your kids and how much fun it is too and here's one that i'm looking forward to dr alfonso monzo and he's a specialist in in biological electronic fields and their biological impact on the human body. And he's going to speak on iron and copper. Sounds boring, doesn't it? But he says it's the greatest dietary lie of our century. 
Everything we think we know about iron and copper as a nutritional supplement or as something to avoid, he says, is wrong. And he's going to show that's the case. And you come up with the conclusion that it's wrong, not by accident. They're trying to get rid of us. Mm -hmm. They're trying to make us sick. So there you go, on and on. That's enough, I think. I probably bored people with enough of that. But well, I'm not really, not really, because that gives will not be, the program will not be boring. Yeah, and that that gives an idea of how really diverse uh, the the subjects are, the topics are, because that's the important thing about the red pill is understanding that we really are living in a matrix. And the world we think we see is not the world that we really live in. And on the other side of that coin, the world they want us to see is totally different than the world they want us to have to live with. Yeah, that's true. There's more deceit than reality out there. Yeah, very much so. Incidentally, I was going to mention, too, We uh, Juliet Engel is... Uh, going to be joining us as well. Juliet is kind of a, has become a, a, a huge part of our Red Pill family because of her uh, being part of the MK Ultra program as a child and surviving. And uh, she's a survivor of the CIA program to uh, literally do mind control all over the world. And uh, she's going to be talking about Ukraine. Right, and she's, she has some tremendous insights to what's going on in Ukraine because she worked over there. She mm -hmm. spent years over there with her project uh, trying to help uh, kidnapped children. And um, so she knows people of great knowledge and influence all throughout Russia and the Ukraine. And her sources, uh, well, her title of her speech, as I recall, is uh, Tales They Win, Heads We Lose, or something right. like that. It's all program. No matter what we do, uh, we're going to lose because we have our enemies on both sides. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. At least that's the way they want it to be. Yeah, that's the way they want it to be. Mm -hmm. yeah. Ed, I, I know you um, you needed to uh, bow out after a while, but uh, maybe if you wouldn't mind before you leave, uh, tell our uh, tell our listeners, tell our viewers how they can. Uh, sign up for the for the uh, Red Pill Expo, how they can sign up. And obviously, we do it through the Red Pill University, how they can buy their tickets, how they can get uh, live stream if they can't make it in person, and then uh, how they can be part of the Red Pill campus. Right. Well, that's that's where that's the payoff, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. uh, pointless to know about these things if you don't know how to take advantage of them. So thanks for that, Dan. Um, yeah, it's simply go to the website and uh, and the uh, the entry there is redpillexpo.org. Redpillexpo.org. Now, that'll take you to the, to the list of all the speakers and the activities of the Red Pill Expo. And then if you, if you want to sign up for either the uh, physical attendance, which we hope you can do, but if you can't do, then you probably will want to sign up for the, uh, the online, the live stream. In, in both cases, you go to the registration page, and there are links in a couple of spots all over the homepage where you can say, oh, yeah, go to the registration page here. And there you'll see the options. There's 
several different options. There's a general admission ticket. There's a VIP ticket. There's a one-day ticket and all that sort of thing. There's a special ticket for, for youth and uh, all of that. So um, then you just pick what, whatever you want to sign up to and click the buttons and follow the directions. It's pretty simple. And uh, as you've said several times, and I'll say it one more time, going in person is really the premium way to do this. But we know that not everybody can do that. I mean, it's a long drive across the country, and sometimes people just don't have the ability or the time available to do that and take off of work and so forth. So the fallback would be the, uh, the live stream. You'll be able to see and participate, almost participate, except for the camaraderie and for the networking and that sort of thing. You can do everything else from the comfort of your own home. So all that can be done on the registration page, and that's redpillexpo.org. Now, don't be surprised, as you said, if you somewhere in that process, you'll see that, oh, what am I doing on Red Pill University's page? Well, they're the ones, Red Pill University is the sponsor of this, and they're the ones that handle all the accounting and the scheduling. So you'll eventually wind up there, but don't worry about it. It's all the same. It's all the same, and uh, you, have, you just happen to wind up in the mothership, that's all. Well, um, it, it's good for people to understand what Red Pill University, this is something that an idea that uh, whose time has come, as you as you say, uh, and the Red Pill University is really designed to provide a lot of information that people can share with others. Talk a little bit about how the Red Pill University provides the opportunity for people to see almost unlimited videos and audios and all kinds of information. Maybe tell people why that's so important. Well, I can, I can say why I think it's so important. And, uh, and that is that one of the hardest things for me to, to do over the years was to find good, reliable information on various topics. Uh, I will come across an issue and I think, yeah, I read something about that a little while ago. I think it was a couple of years ago. What was that again? Where, who wrote it? What was it about? You know, it's gone. I, oh, I read about it. That was no good. So I thought maybe there's a need for a repository that could be well indexed so that people could find these things, even if they never read it before. Supposing they want to find out something about uh, RNA, for example, or something about... Uh, well, anything, you, you pick it. It could be uh, Planet X, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be something political. It could be just something in, involving reality versus illusion. So the idea then was to put all of the vetted information, the best we could find, into one place and very meticulous, <coughs> excuse me, meticulous, meticulously index it so that you could find a topic just by pressing a couple of buttons. So we're on that journey right now. We're, I'm going to say we're about one-third of the way there, which is pretty good. It's not doesn't sound impressive, but when you consider the, the huge amount of indexing and the volume of work that's involved, one-third is pretty impressive, and I think. So um, if you uh, we've created certain categories. If a person comes to our website and they want to know more about all these things. Maybe they don't even know what it is they want to know. That would be my case. And this is an interesting site. These people have got some interesting things here. What do I want to know? I don't even know. So what did they suggest? I thought it was our obligation to make a list of suggestions of places to start, some things that they might want to know about. 
So we did that, and uh, that simplified things a lot. And our indexing system is that you type a word, I don't care if it's Dan Happel or just Happel, we'll get all the Happels in our system all in one place. And if you want to see something about snake venom or just venom, type that in and bingo, you're everything, both printed and video, will be brought together. So it's a resource of information. And uh, I think it's important to know that we don't put everything in there. It's just stuff that we think is really, really good stuff. Mm -hmm. And we have no reason to doubt its authenticity. Uh, and that doesn't mean we don't make a mistake now and then, but we make very, very few mistakes. So it's a good resource. And um, you've got to have information. You've got to have reliable information if you're going to fight this battle and win it. Yeah, that's right. You can fight it all you want to, but if you're, if you're fighting against the wrong people, you're going to lose the war. That's absolutely correct. And uh, um, I, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to get together with all these great people again. Uh, Lisa, make sure that uh, you do get a chance to be there because I think it's so important for the Birch Society to uh, continue to be part of our events because they've been such an incredible sponsor and help over the years. I think you're muted. We have a muting because we have, uh, my husband has some friends over and their three kids are running around screaming, mm -hmm. uh, getting a chance to jump in our swimming pool because it's very hot here right now. But uh, <laughs> so I have that joyful noise in the background. I do want to be there. Uh, we will have Birchers there um, running our Friday night event, and we're, we have a booth. We are a sponsor. Uh, I'm an extra, and uh, I hope I get to be an extra. And quite frankly, uh, if the society is not on board with it, I'm, I'm sitting here looking up tickets right now. Um, I think yeah. I have miles. <laughs> so I'm yeah. going to Des Moines. Thank you. Okay. Well, we look forward to that. And Ed, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I, I know you need to run, but uh, I'm looking forward to connecting you too with my uh, good friend, uh, Mark Sutherland, because I think you're going to find Mark to be an incredible asset in, in the battle against good and the, uh, for good and against evil, because we have a tremendous fight in front of us. And people like Mark are so incredibly important in communicating all the things that are uh, really a problem. So well, I'm looking forward to it, Dan. If you recommend that uh, that I meet somebody, I've learned over the years that I better follow it up because you're right. Yeah, well, he's that very definitely. Uh, I met Mark, oh, I'm going to say it's probably been at least five, five or six years ago at an event we did up in Whitefish, Montana. And it's been one of the best friendships I've ever developed. And uh, Mark is, uh, actually he's been a guest host uh, quite a few times on my, on my podcast. When I need to go somewhere, Mark is willing to fill in from the UK. And that's another part that's so important to understand is that we can bring people together from all over the world and communicate these wonderful ideas to people all over the world. They created the internet, I think, to try to, uh, I guess I'd try to, I'd say they created the internet as a way to try to control us. And I think the genie's out of the bottle. And I, I think it's probably done more for the freedom movement than anything else 
could have ever done, and that is make information available to everybody. Well, I agree. Dan, get, sorry. Dan, can I just jump in and say you are sure. extremely embarrassing in regard to the PR that you do for me, but I but bless you for that. And uh, Mr. Griffin, I look forward to meeting you very, very much indeed. And I just want to thank you for the inspiration that you give to many, many people around the world. I'm not just saying that just for the sake of it, but, uh, but uh, you have been in this game for a long, long time, and particularly some of your films, I think, dating from 1956 odd, if I'm if I'm actually got my uh, research correct. But thank you, thank you very much indeed, um, because there'll be a number of personal friends of mine in that room, and as you say, we all need each other very, very much indeed. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, Mark. It's encouraging. And uh, while while you're speaking and and on the line there, I'd like to. Uh, throw something out here, Dan, that you can help perpetuate, if you will. I have had an inquiry inquiry from uh, a gentleman who is interested in financing some film producer to produce a particular topic that I think is worthy. I won't mention what it is here because I don't want to bring too much attention to it. And uh, there was a day back in the day when I would have said, well, I'm your man, you know, but uh, I've got too many other things in the in the oven right now. And uh, we're looking for uh, one or more film producers who have the ability to do a good job to do this documentary. So if anybody is available on taking on a new project, I think the funding would be adequate for it. Uh, maybe, uh, do you want to sort of funnel it to me, Dan, if they contact you? Absolutely. I, I th And I think Mark would be an ideal choice. As a matter of fact, uh, he's got a, a short film, it's about uh, 10 or 11 minutes long, that is very, very powerful. And uh, I was going to talk to Ken about uh, putting that uh, short film on the agenda to show a few times during breaks, uh, because it is such a good film. Uh, and it's about, it's about the way the whole system is out of control. Uh, Mark, do you want to talk about uh, Lambs and Lions? Uh, that's very, very kind of you. Dan, you do my PR in such a wonderful way. It gets, as I said, it gets very embarrassing. But thank you. My short film, I... Uh, I made in 2000, I loaded up in 2015. It depicts a time when the Constitution of the United States has been suspended and complete overreach by the executive branch. I didn't mean it to be prophetic, but I could, I then, I don't know, just seemed to have been given a little bit of an insight into how I could see things happening. But then again, anyone that does some research, um, I think would come to the same, obviously the same conclusions. Um, yes, it takes, I don't hide the fact of certain subject matters, but it's, uh, it's then put the Constitution of the United States in, in a museum. And uh, there's one line in the film that says, we don't need a, a majority, we just need a vocal, irate minority. And that is what they have been trying to crush, especially with the whole J6 thing over the last few years. Um, but no, being able to show your own work is always such an honor and to have people view it. And I made that in the, uh, in the UK. I didn't make it over here. 
But that right. was one of my shouting pieces leading up to the 2016 election. Right, exactly. And uh, incidentally, Ed, uh, Mark was intimately involved in the Brexit movement and actually did some uh, work on a film uh, during the Brexit movement. So uh, great idea. Great. Uh, this will be a good introduction. I think you'll really, really enjoy the fact that uh, that you've met Mark and have an opportunity to uh, work with a new personality. Yes. Well, uh, <clears throat> I would be happy to talk with Mark or anybody else on this project because I am unable to take advantage of it, and somebody should. I'm in total agreement with the project, and uh, it needs to be done. And <laughs> amazing of amazing coincidences. Here's a fellow that's got the money and he wants to do it. It's usually the other way around. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, I, this is a great preview of uh, the Red Pill Expo. Is there anything else you want to uh, mention, Ed, uh, before you leave? No, except let's do it. Let's just not talk about it. Let's just do it. If you're wondering about whether or not you should go to the event, stop wondering. Just go and then find out. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I, I, I have a tendency to overthink problems where there's tough decisions to make. I think about them and think about them. And if I can think about them long enough, then I think about them too long. So I don't have to decide because I've waited too long. It's over. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course, but it seems that way. It seems like I, I beat myself up by th overthinking projects too much. So this is not one you have to think too much about. Just do it. We'll see you there. That's right. And this uh, facility in uh, in Des Moines, I'd been there. I actually stopped there two weeks ago uh, when I was driving back from Wisconsin to Montana, and uh, it's a great facility. It is uh, really, really set up well for an event like we're having. Mm -hmm. So, and Des Moines is a beautiful town. I, uh, I really, I had been through Des Moines one other time years and years ago. I didn't realize what a what a clean beautiful uh, community that Des Moines, Iowa is, but it's it's excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I, I must have been in Des Moines at some point or other years ago, but uh, it's all a, a blur. This time I will be taking pictures. Oh, very definitely. Well, uh, th thank you for uh, joining us. I know you were on your way out to uh, uh, a uh, a coffee service or something, and so I don't want to. I was going out to get a, bro a brochure printed. Is what I was going to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, you uh, please uh, uh, join us, everybody, in Des Moines, Iowa, next Saturday and Sunday. It's the twelfth and thirteenth of August, and uh, buy your tickets, get your hotel room. It's at the airport. Holiday Inn and Convention Center in Des Moines, Iowa. And um, we've got great facilities, so there's no excuse for not being there. And if, if you can't be there, get the live stream, because that's a, a wonderful thing in itself. Okay, well, with that, I'm going to bow out, Dan. Thanks for inviting okay. me. I see Nathan has come on. Hi, Nate. Good to see you. And Lisa, I'll see you there, hopefully. And uh, Mark, you'll meet Mark. Yeah, Mark. I'll see you there. I look forward to that very much to meet okay. both of you.
Okay. Well, thank you, everybody. And I'm going to sign out now. Bye okay. Bye. Thank you, Ed. All right. Well, uh, Mark, uh, you've, I, I don't know if you've had a chance to visit at all with uh, Nathan Deshmaker, but uh, Nathan is probably, if there's any one person that I've tried to be a mentor to uh, and I see as a legacy, it's uh, Nathan Deshmaker. Uh, Nathan is a young uh, cattle rancher from uh well, South Central Montana. He's from the area Grass Range, which is uh, a little bit east of the center of the state. And uh, he raises uh, uh, registered feed feeder cattle uh, uh, calves. And he is uh, involved very, very heavily in the movement uh, to try to expose Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, and all the things that are going on with the attacks on private property. And uh, I've invited Nathan to uh, join us today because he did a great presentation in Salt Lake City at the Red Pill Expo. And uh, I think it's gonna be very, very important that we support work like Nathan is doing because it's so incredibly important that we do something to protect private property. That's the one thing in the United States that stands out about uh, above most other things is our respect for the idea of private property. Nathan, uh, good to see you, my young friend. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks a bunch, Dan. Um, hear me good Good on your end? Yep, yep. You're coming in loud and strong. Yeah, sounds good. <clears throat> yeah, thanks a bunch. Uh, Good, always good to come on and chat a little bit. Um, so on a little later than I was planning on coming on a little sooner, but I, I made it anyways. So, Well, you're working on some important work right now with attorneys general around the country. You're in the middle of the battle right now against the 30 by 30 uh, Biden program to literally turn 30% of the United States into um, wilderness area by the year 2030. Talk a little bit about some of the crazy ideas that are coming out of the Green New Deal and how totally immersed in that whole program that Joe Biden and his cadre of Marxists are in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Well, a recent thing I guess I could speak to on that is uh, the big issue in Montana. Well, there's many issues in Montana and other places across the West, but uh, the climate agenda is really pushing heavy against our mineral estate, um, our coal resources. Mile City Field Office in Montana, they just finished an environmental impact statement for our coal leasing for the Powder River Basin in eastern Montana. 2019, they approved 1.2 million acres for leasable coal. The court has opened all that back up and um, comments, comment period just closed on that. And the court forced the agency essentially to apply greenhouse gas, a multi, what they called a multiple use criterion, using greenhouse gas emissions as a proxy for climate change. So that was one of the main, and that, that's not my language, by the way, that's, that's in the environmental impact statement and the planning documents for 
doing this multiple use screening for our coal estate using that uh, greenhouse gas proxy. And they're using that essentially to justify shutting off 90 plus percent of the leasable coal in the Powder River Basin, which is about 80 percent of the subsurface administered coal by the Bureau of Land Management in the country. So pretty, and that's kind of flying under the radar to some extent, um, but it shouldn't be because huge amount of coal, 40% of the current mine coal right now is coming out of the Powder River Basin, total U.S. production. Um, that would be unaffected by this decision, but, um, and so that's, that's coming out of the Biden administration to these executive orders for net zero objectives and, and shutting down our carbon-based industries, essentially. Well, um, Nathan, in that um, trying to shut off uh, the carbon-based industries, they keep they keep using CO2 and, and treating CO2 as if it were a dangerous gas. CO2 is, is really the gift of life to the earth because without CO2, plants don't do well and without plants, we don't have oxygen. When they talk about reducing CO2, they're really talking about reducing the gas of life, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, you're accurate in saying that. It's one of the building blocks to life. Uh, carbon dioxide is pretty important gas. But I would say, you know, it's a, it's a trace element in our atmosphere, even, even with its importance. And man's contribution to it is pretty minimal. Um, you know, we live in the same atmosphere as China and India, and they're building coal plants left and right and burning coal and building their uh, economic substructure for energy uh, in their countries. Um, us destroying those industries really makes it see geopolitically, it puts it on a different plane because now we're talking about not just local economies and access to resources, but this this rule in the long term you know, has unintended consequences that affect those geopolitical aspects as well. And as you said, it's not CO2 that's the issue. They're just somehow getting away with using that as the supposed pollutant. Um, but the, po the point is, though, Congress has never um, directed or delegated agencies any explicit authority to do downstream impacts analyses on a highly speculative multiple use criterion to be the basis for agency rulemaking and decision making. Meanwhile, the Congress has delegated through the Federal Land Policy Management Act, the Minerals and Mining Leasing Act, the Mining Policy Act, all to direct these federal agencies to oversee the administration of our mineral resources and foster and encourage private enterprise in the development of those resources. How are agencies like Bureau of Land Management upholding its statutory responsibility to provide access and leasability to our mineral estate, one of the principal and major uses of our public lands by shutting off 90 plus percent mm -hmm. of the leasable coal in the, in, the, in the Powder River Basin in the Mile City Field Office? They're using court orders and highly speculative greenhouse gas proxy analyses 
to vacate their statutory responsibility to facilitate the cultivation, location, mining, and development of a resource is critical for the energy of the nation and our exports and the tax bases and everything else that goes along with those rural counties that depend on taxable revenue to run run their systems, run their lo- local governments. So it's a mess. It doesn't make much sense. Well, uh, Nathan, too, and this is an important thing, this is some of the cleanest coal and some of the best uh, best coal available in the country. And uh, so when they shut this coal down, uh, China may end up, you know, burning uh, lower quality coal and doing other things as well. It doesn't improve our use of the coal, but it also doesn't improve the world's use of coal. Um, you know, and I, I'm not a big one in favor of exporting our coal to China because if if we can't burn it here, why in the world would we want to send it over there so they can burn it? But at the same time, uh, you know, our coal is clean coal, and if we were to put a few more scrubbers on our uh, coal-fired power plants, they're far and away the most cost-effective of any energy source other than hydroelectric in the country, aren't they? Yeah, well, the they've become pretty efficient for the most part. The pictures you see on the front of some newspapers, that like a, like Coal Strip, for example, and the big plumes coming out of the stacks at Coal That's Strip. Steam. Yeah. yeah, most of that is water vapor <laughs> on a cold morning when it just is pluming out of there. So, yeah, they're very efficient. And like I said, China, India, especially China, most of those systems are not really regulated uh, to the degree that they are for being clean burning, not only because of the coal they're using, but just just the way they're going about it in general, um, because they're communist system. Communist systems aren't as efficient as private enterprise and development. That's what sets America apart. That's why our federal agencies are required to foster private enterprise and the development and utilization of our mineral estate. Not to mention our livestock grazing, the the all the grasslands on our federal lands, all those things. Those agencies are statutorily re- required, according to the Federal Land Policy Management Act, for the benefit of the American people to foster private enterprise and the development and utilization of those resources. Obviously, in a wise manner, with prudence and understanding we're not here to destroy and plunder and and destroy the capacity for for ourselves and future generations. But um, there's a lot of coal, there's a lot of subsurface mineral estate, none of it's been touched. And nobody's asking for ripping out the the eastern half of the state of Montana to access every little drop of coal. Every, Every lease application through this region, if there's an application, goes through full impacts analysis, Mm -hmm. cost benefit analysis, all that stuff on an individual case by case basis. This rule would would limit anybody from even filing the application. So right. it doesn't make sense, and and it's 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 systematic of the out of control nature of bureaucracy when it gets an idea and no longer considers its limitations statutorily um, and implements these executive programs, and that's what we're seeing on the climate stuff and all these agendas tied into the Paris Accord. 
Well, I think we'll all agree on this, and I, I wanted to get a, a chance to introduce you to uh, Mark Sutherland. Uh, Lisa Von Gelder, and I don't know if you listen too much of Lisa, but she's the uh, 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 field coordinator in uh, the Tucson area for the John Birch Society. Uh, my good friend, Mark Sutherland, and you may get a chance to meet him, uh, but uh, Mark is a film producer from the UK. Uh, he's over here now uh, visiting with uh, a group in the Nashville area working on a film production there. Mark is a kind of an interesting guy. He was filming uh, and working with the BBC on a film in uh, uh, where they were showing the, the Oval Office. Uh, Mark, do you want to maybe talk a little bit about some of the stuff you've worked on? Dan, thank you. Um, Nathan, what an honor it is to meet you, and thank you very much. And just to say, um, I'm presently in North Dakota educating. I I was in Montana in 2018 is where I met Dan, and uh, I'm presently educating myself on these great plains and being being up in the northern northern states and then reminding myself that in montana there's twice as many cattle as there is actually human beings i think <laughs> within your great state mm -hmm. and and the fact that as someone who has spent i've spent most of my life in in uh, in london to then i allow i now do not live in london but to actually you have uh, put in words absolutely brilliantly some of the stupidity that we are facing the basic science that is thrown out um and i uh, i'm involved in this fight i'm passionate about your nation and what this nation stands for I'm also passionate about the fact that unless you come up to these areas, you have no... I I got off, right? So here we go. I land at Bismarck Airport. A dear friend picks me up. I'm in their house now. And I just arrive and I go, where are the people? You are kidding me. These plains of acres and acres and acres of food production, of food production where there's only 700,000 people in this state. But the food production, when I'm talking to someone who runs a farm of 18,000 acres, I can't get my head around that. <laughs> I cannot get my head around that. But what I do understand is that if you do not have food security anywhere in the world, then frankly, without swearing online, we, we are stuffed. We are completely and utterly stuffed. Now, the other thing uh, I want to raise, Nathan, is that the governor of North Dakota, whose name I can't think of at the moment, is very, very good friends with Bill Gates. I've actually driven, I think, past the house where Bill regularly flies into, and there are meetings. I don't have to say anymore. I'm also aware, I think, in Montana, that uh, up until 2018, or maybe just beyond, hasn't there been a land grab of denying you 26,000 miles of access roads into your forestry? Please oh, yeah. correct me on that. No, you that's know. right. Um, yep. So Agenda 21, Agenda 30, I am not an expert on it, Nathan, but what I am is extremely gratified to be taught, to be reminded of our food security, why we have the farming that we do, 
and the fact that if we are not able to exercise those God-given minerals, it seems to be perfectly acceptable for Hillary Clinton in 2015 to have Uranium One and dig all that up and then sell it by a Canadian company to Russia. The the two-facedness of this, of, of these globalists, is, is off the charts, Nathan. What say you, sir? Yeah, I, I would agree in many respects. Um, I mean, there's a lot there. The The food security is one thing, I guess. You know, I, I put it in the context of natural resources. Um, yeah. Yeah. One of the reasons natural resource industries are, have become really one of my focuses, one is because I'm a direct participant on the ground level being a producer myself uh, in the cattle industry. And two, because everything comes from the ground. Mm-hmm. Food, not just food, but everything virtually comes from the ground that makes it possible uh, for us to have any leisure to enjoy reading a book or any of the things we take for granted because we're not taking every daylight hour of our lives to find food, shelter, uh, and water. Um, You remove uh, human ingenuity, private property, and the means of production and the freedoms associated with private property, you reduce man to a state of subsistence living. Um, So our natural resource industries are vastly important uh, to maintain private property and the means of production. And that's what's happening in Montana and across the West is really just consolidation of industries. Even this coal deal, when you limit the leasability of 90% of the leasable subsurface coal estate, you consolidate the existing industries. They've already conglomerated and many have already gone through bankruptcy in this state. The existing mines that are already actively mining as a result of the Obama administration's war on coal. Mm -hmm. So now we have a continuing proliferation of that and their energy is a direct so when you when you're talking about food security it's not just ranchers and farmers out there on the range cultivating and 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 producing a product it's the energy that's the hub that gives the basis for those populations to accomplish that to where we be, we become net exporters of the of that produce for the benefit of some of the poorest people in the world I read a paper the other day, one, one gal or uh, not one gallon, one fifty gallon drum of oil is the equivalent to 4.5 years of a single man's labor, according to some calculations. Mm-hmm. So I just wrapped up 750 some odd bales of, you know, 1300 pound hay bales that I'm going to roll out and feed to my cows while it's negative 20 degrees this winter. And I did that in a few in a few weeks within a month's time frame. You you need a lot of lot of human raw labor to accomplish that. Um, without those power those it's called power density, uh, in in fossil fuels. Um, you 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 leave that out of the picture. Mm-hmm. You're you're causing systemic issues with food production and really the production of everything else, and that's not a good direction to go go in. No, no, not a, not at all, not at all, Nathan. And um, I, I just, what you've said, you've just touched on water. I want to give you a picture of where I am right now. And I was chatting to Dan about this the other day, which 
it's, it's part of my own personal frustration where I just think where I am now are people awake to the fight that's going on. I'm in a friend of mine's house two months ago. They refused to have a smart meter put on the water supply into their house. They, the water company, and you mentioned the word monopoly, which I would have thought was a bit of an anathema within the United States and what it actually stands for. And it shouldn't be like that whatsoever because we need to be encouraging competition. The water company turned off the water to this house where I am right now. And do people around, it seems that other people have been accepted, they've turned around and said, no, we'll have a smart meter and all the rest. This is outrageous. And I know that this is happening in other places within this country. But you've heightened that. You've pointed that to me, which is suddenly I am realizing, and this may sound a very naive, stupid statement, I'm realizing the importance of water. You've just said it about how much it would take you to get all your hay bales in if you don't have access to oil, if you don't have access to fuel on machinery in which to do that. There's a book, I think, written by a young guy, Albert Epstein or whatever, where he talks about um, the importance of civilization in regard to low energy. The amount of energy that's taking at the moment to get water off friends, etc., because they're fighting this, in fact, they're going to be moving. I'll just leave that one out of the way. This is outrageous to me. I'm suddenly seeing Agenda 21 and Agenda 30. I'm actually experiencing this personally right now. And I then understand, of course, in a third world situation, walking for water. This society would collapse. It would absolutely collapse where if we're put in this situation where you don't have access to all of that. Sorry, I've just gone on, but I just wanted to tell you that's the situation I am actually sitting in right now. And it's uh, an interesting place to be for two weeks as I go to the campsite and use their shower facilities or go to a public or go to a public toilet. Because there is something where people are standing on their principles. Mark, um, you, you mentioned that, but really what they are trying to do, and this is part, again, part of Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, is the, the significant reduction in human population. And by significant, I mean 93%. They say that the ideal human population is somewhere uh, south of a billion people, somewhere between 500 million and a billion people. That means they've got to get rid of 93% of the people in the world. What better way to do that than turn us back into a Stone Age subsistence culture where we get rid of fossil fuels, we get rid of electricity, we get rid of all the things that make a modern society work and push everybody back into a, a subsistence Stone Age culture. Uh, Nathan? Yeah, well, you... The interest, well, how they do that is it, it ties into the control of the 
of natural resources consolidation of the means of production. Mm -hmm. Because as long as production is divided among many individuals acting independent from one another, no one person has control over it. Um, and Frederick Hayek in his work, um, the, the, his first volume on the fatal conceit, the heirs of socialism, he stated in that book, uh, published 1991, I believe, uh, he said, I have also maintained that the extended order would collapse. And he's talking about the economic just frameworks that were developed in Western civilization. If I have also maintained that the extended order would collapse and that much of our population would suffer and die if such movements ever did truly succeed in displacing the market. Like it or not, the current world population already exists, destroying its material foundation in order to attain the ethical or intrinsically gratifying improvements advocated by socialists would be tantamount to condoning the death of billions and the impoverishment of the rest of us. That was Frederick Hayek uh, 30 years ago. Um, and he's talking about the market and this back to this coal leasing deal in Eastern Montana, we have government through its federal departments picking and win picking winners and losers in the energy environment in making final rules and decisions that limit the ability for competitive free enterprise to file applications um, for access and development of those resources. That is a movement that that's the movement that Hayek was referring to, not just that, but that whole, the movement of centralized power to come in and control markets and dictate uh, to the consumer because when you tie up all the leasable coal estate, you're not leaving that choice to the consuming population in this country of whether or not they want reliable and affordable energy, or if they want highly subsidized, expensive energy through ineffective, 100% renewable sources. And because at the same time, BLM is reducing the fee rates for acreage rentals, as well as the capacity fee right, uh, rate fee for solar and wind development on our public lands. Right. Right. So they're, they're manipulating the markets in a massive way through federal administrative process. Um, and it's, it's causing tremendous economic confusion. And as another well-known economist from back in the day stated that economic confusion is the breeding down ground for totalitarian ideas. And that's where we are, is they have created this economic chaos and also cultural and societal chaos to some extent. But it's really, I would submit to you, that it's the economic side of this. The only system and institution that predates and, and is undergirding of all the other freedoms we enjoy under the Constitution is the market. It's the freedom of, of exchange of the fruit of one's labor. We we don't that does we don't create that with constitutions. We create constitutions to protect that. Mm -hmm. That's what's under attack. Is so I agree. I our system in the West and America in particular is actually crucial. But that originated in England and English common law, the Magna Carta, and all those fundamental principles of life, liberty, and property. And when you intr intrude, Hayek saying when they when they collapse that extended order of the market, they condone populations to death and impoverishment, mm -hmm. 
and they propagate it through this quote unquote ethical gratifying improvements of we're going to, it's all propagated in the idea that it's going to be for the good of mankind. Right. And it's the Nathan, antithesis. Nathan, I couldn't agree with you more. I just want to give you a UK example, which is just so frustrating. You're fully aware of what's been going on uh, with the Dutch farmers. I'm sorry, I don't have my, my camera is not working. Um, I'm not uh, hiding undercover, but my, my, my camera is not working. Um, We've just had a, a, a situation in the UK where a parliamentary seat came up for having to re-vote on, which is in fact was Boris Johnson, our previous prime minister, as we seem to get through them so, so quickly, uh, resigned as member of parliament in Uxbridge. They just uh, had a, uh, a vote for a new, a new member there. The supposed conservatives won. Nathan, what is shocking is that these people have realised that a heck of a lot of people in London are not happy with the whole um, shutting down under what's called ULES, where it's people being able to drive their cars into London and all this kind of thing, and other climate change type nonsense under something called C60 that Sadiq Khan is all over. They have suddenly realised that if they push those policies through, they're going to lose loads and loads of seats in the next election. And I've just gone, duh, it's taken you that long to wake <laughs> up and realise that denying people an income, actually putting up, um, kill, in the end, killing people's businesses, you've already done that under uh, COVID as much as you can. And we are facing this, and you... I mean, it's amazing to hear, but it's also a bit embarrassing when you have referred to common law and Magna Carta. You are absolutely right, because the country where I come from seems a million miles right now from those roots. Basically, it's, it's just a dogma of socialism, whichever, whichever party you actually vote for and i and i'm just appalled where i just think where there's common sense if you as a nation you have seen over the last few years you know say um a gallon of fuel be an average price of just over two dollars and suddenly go up to say five dollars and now come down again your nation cannot survive if you do not have reasonable energy prices how right. can you commute across these vast states i mean i've said this i do apologize if this sounds boring but the, you know the uk fits into texas nearly three times the mm -hmm. vastness of your continent and it's no wonder that they are after you they are after what america stands for and the pursuit of life liberty the pursuit of life liberty and, and happiness and um it just, I am aghast that these so-called leaders that should not be in these positions are not putting policies through that actually benefit benefit the people. Um, it is utterly ridiculous. We had we had uh, coal, we had coal mines in the eighties. It's another story. A lot of them have shut. But as you rightly said, we've got the technology. We can have the clean coal extraction coming out, but because of ideology, they don't want to do that, even though our Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, has just signed for new deals to open up oil drilling 
up up beyond Scotland in the, in the oil fields there has finally done it because of these over overpaid spoiled children of stop oil who are all got wonderful foundations they're all rich who are on the streets trying to shut down our civilization they have no I'll try not to swear no idea whatsoever and you're right that's why we're joined in this fight and it's such a privilege to talk to you and to hear someone who is on the ground making food for me to actually you know eat and your fellow americans yeah well nathan um <clears throat> this is something that um i i really want uh mark to get a chance to know you a little bit better but uh, talk about what's been happening with the 30 by 30 and how government has not through legislation, not through actual law, but through rulemaking, that they have taken literally the law into their own hands and created all of these new programs that Congress has not recognized or put forward, and yet we're we're acting like they are part of our legal structure when in fact they're not. They're just rules. Yeah. Well, some of, some of that's a problem with some bad legislation, and I think that is delegated too much over rulemaking authority over to the executive branch to begin with. Um, but there's safeguards in place that's supposed to, you know, provide some safeguards for those agencies so that they're staying within the rule of law. And those safeguards are effective to some extent if they're utilized, but problem is they're not utilized and the courts are becoming one of the best avenues if if it's possible to get litigation moving um to stop some of this but it's so all-encompassing on you mentioned like the 30 by 30 you know everybody knows about the 30 by 30 at the executive level 30 percent of lands and waters by this date blah 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 but it's being implemented systemically across multi-departments uh, across this country, federal agencies in particular that have jurisdictional administrative responsibility over our su our surface and subsurface real estate. Um, so the 30 by 30 initiative is a program to further tie up um, more lands and waters. Because under Paris, you know, the EU and China for the net zero objectives under Paris, our land use is exempt for for those two entities for the u.s land use is included as a contribution so and you mentioned so so wind and solar for example the irony is they want to tie up 30 percent of lands and waters on the other hand they want to reach net zero by 2050 on carbon neutral sources of energy generation and according to the Nature Conservancy Level 10 Energy and the Audubon Society, they need about as much land as Wyoming and Colorado combined for wind and solar development to reach net zero objectives by 2050. That's a huge amount of land. So that brings into the discussion of power density. Um, wind and solar have horrible power density. And power density is the equation that calculates how many gigawatts are generated per unit of land in that process um coal 
uh, hydro, natural gas. Most of our traditional carbon-based sources are have a pretty good power density. Natural gas is phenomenal power density. Um, wind and solar is horrible. So you're losing tons of land to these these programs. Um, and that's not see the wind and solar development's not a, direct, a part of the thirty by thirty, but it is a contributor because they're choosing to set aside lands for those development purposes, and then they have all these acquisition programs. They want to put a big monument around the Grand Canyon right now. Biden's going to be there this coming week, and possibly may even designate that monument down there. Um, and you have a whole other variety of rules, the Landscape Conservation Health Rule from Bureau of Land Management and others that are coming off the press to make conservation a use of lands, non-use. Um, so there's, I mean, you could go and go and go on and on and on, Dan, of all sorts of things they're doing, but it all originates with the high-level objectives coming out of the Paris Accord, and it's it's subversive to our constitutional republic and our self-governing principles at the local level. Um, so we need to reaffirm those foundations and go back to the old paths. Well, we do, and I think uh, something important, the rest of the world is dependent on that too, because um, I had uh, Paul Dreesen on the other day, and Paul wrote a book called uh, Eco-Imperialism, how the... Uh, uh, the green movement is destroying the undeveloped parts of the world. And, you know, they, they want uh, people who live in Africa to have to depend on uh, solar energy or uh, wind power to mm. cook their food mm. and do everything mm. else. And mm. that they could go so much further if they could just use, as you say, uh, uh, energy-dense technologies that uh, can produce a lot of energy and do it cheaply and quickly. Yeah, well, the, it exactly. Just quickly, it, sorry, it just quickly reminds me of Stuart Chase's book, I think, of 1933. And at the end of that book, it says, you know, why should Russia have all the fun? And Nathan's touched on this in regard to <laughs> monopoly and the fact that, you know, the whole thing of the markets are quite rightly being as I've said, being under attack. And that's what they want. They just want to just want to own own everything. But that fact that you've got a book there saying this in 1933 called the New De the New Deal, you know, why aren't people looking at history? I say that respectfully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and understanding that as all these small producers, uh, people like Nathan, uh, they used to be scattered all over the landscape. Now, there, there's, I, and I don't rem remember the exact numbers. You may help me on this, Nathan, but I'm going to say around 1900, there were something like 20 million uh, people living on, uh, on agricultural-type lands scattered all over the country that were producing 90-some percent of all of our food. And now uh, we've got about 1 million people because of the energy density that can use machinery to improve and, and be better at uh, farming and ranching. But we've got a million. And in fact, if they have their way, that million will turn into 
maybe uh, a thousand, and those will be the mega uh, companies like Cargill and and ADM, Arthur Daniel Midlands, mm -hmm. and companies that are mega, mega big corporations. And when that happens, you take away that diversity, you take away the free markets. You've got a real screwed up mess, don't you, Nathan? Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem is when you when you consolidate industries, you you um, you consolidate markets. When you consolidate markets, they become stagnant. And when those become stagnant, you're you're losing the freedoms that are derivative from that as a free people to 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 travel where you want, live where you want, work. You know, if I get fired from somewhere, you know, you have a choice to go work for someone else. But if you take that away. You, you take away the alternatives to the individual. And when you do that, you lose the essence of freedom. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, um, I hate to say it, but we're out of time. Uh, Lisa, uh, I know you're uh, setting patiently. You turned your camera off, but uh, I, I look forward I to seeing <laughs> I look forward to seeing you at the red pill coming up. Uh, Mark, I look forward to seeing you there. Nathan, uh, you said you were going to try to get there, but it didn't look like maybe you were going to be able to. I don't think so at this point. Um, speaking of water, a well well pump went out, fixing that, getting hay hauled, and just trying to. And I got some other projects I got to work on, so I'll let you know if something changes, but likely not as of now. Okay. Nathan, it's been lovely to meet you, and also you, Lisa. So thank you very much, and. Uh, when I get back and get my little podcast up and running again, I would love you, love to have you on as guests and uh, educate uh -huh. us about what you're doing. That'd be a real honor to do. So thank I you. I think that would be wonderful, Mark. And uh, uh, Nathan certainly can talk about agriculture in a way that uh, a lot of people in the UK would find very, very refreshing and interesting. Mm. Mm. No, it's uh, it's a, a vitally important subject, especially as I say with what's happening in Holland as well. Um, my my blood boils, to be honest. I just cannot understand that people do not see the madness of this. But when, as we say, we're not fighting uh, flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, and we're engaged in the biggest spiritual battle of our lifetime. And that's really it, in a nutshell. It's the biggest spiritual battle. All the rest of it is uh, really uh, icing on the cake. But the bottom line is, this is a battle between good and evil. This is a battle for, uh, really, for salvation. So with that mm, said, absolutely. I, I see that uh, uh, James is ready to go with the uh, campaign show. And uh, our time is up. So thank you, folks, for being our guest today. I want to thank our viewers and listeners and join us on Tuesday morning from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Mountain Time, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Connecting the Dot. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee Across the plains of Texas, oh, from sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to Houston, and New York to L.A., where there's
there's pride in every American heart. And it's time we stand and say.